we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. This is Buffalo What's Next. And for the next hour, we'll be getting into an uncomfortable topic, but I think an important one as well. We're going to be talking with uh, Gwen Mysiak. She is the executive director of uh, the Punt Pediatric Cancer Collaborative. Also joining us, Mark Wozniak. Our topic this morning, uh, as I mentioned, not necessarily a comfortable topic, but one uh, that is very important. We're talking about bereavement and more specifically uh, for those who have uh, lost children, and in some cases specifically children to cancer as well. Gwen, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Uh, Gwen, well, I just want to, let's just take a quick step back just to set the scene here. The Punt Pediatric Cancer Collaborative, Punt P, period, U, period, N period, T period. It's been around for a while here in Buffalo. Talk about its roots a little bit for us. Yeah, so um, it's called Punt because it was founded by the former Buffalo Bills punter, Brian Mormon, um, early in his football career, who um, recognized you know, the need for better support for families facing a cancer, pediatric cancer diagnosis. Um, it was a public charity, so um, you know, thanks to community support and uh, you know a lot of passion, um, you know, it's continued to um, evolve and blossom here in Western New York. Many years after Brian has lived and played here, so uh, it's a real testament to this community. Um, so um, you know, we, over the last ten years, we've really fine-tuned a lot of the programming, and I'm proud to say we run and fund six programs that serve. Um, our three healthcare providers who um, take care of our kids that are diagnosed with cancer, um, Oshai Children's Hospital, Roswell Park, and Essential Care, which is um, the pediatric uh, department at hospice. Um, we work in hand in glove with their psychosocial team to make sure that we're providing the most critical forms of support for families uh, facing um, this scenario. We're going to be jumping around a little bit with a variety of uh elements to this, but just as you were talking about the, those important supports for families. Yes. Let's get into that. Give us a little bit of understanding. And we, I think we've, any of us have, have, have had a loved one in the hospital or for a lengthy stay wherever. We kind of have an, a little bit of an appreciation, but I, I would think it would be that much more acute when it comes to parents dealing with a child who might be suffering from a terminal illness. Yes, yes. Oh, I would say, you know, cancer has touched pretty much everyone, and many people say, you know, who have been touched by it, they can't imagine that diagnosis for a child. Um, I came to my role through my family's journey. My cousin's son, who was like a nephew to me, ring bearer in my wedding, was given a terminal cancer diagnosis at 13 years old. Mm. He was an Orchard Park middle schooler, living a completely normal life when a little something funny, you know, got him... Um, scheduled for an outpatient hernia surgery. And so my family was thrust headfirst into the unthinkable. I know Mark is going to tell his story too. Um, but I always said, you know, being very front lines with Andrew's battle, we had every asset for the battle. We had, you know, his parents had health insurance. We had a strong support. We had a faith 
and yet still, you know, everybody was hanging by a thread and um, seeing, you know, what the ripple effect of a pediatric cancer diagnosis does to a family, you know, that that uh, passion really began to burgeon in me, you know, um, for, you know, very personal reasons. Um, as we talked about while that was happening, I was enjoying a very wonderful career here at <laughs> public broadcasting. Um, I started right out of college in the then publicity department. I uh, was able to serve as director of corporate communications and then eventually handle a lot of the national relationships for TV production and PBS uh, productions. Um, so uh, I, I grew up here professionally um, and got a lot of the skills that I now, you know, pour into my role as the executive director of Punt here at uh, Buffalo Toronto Public Media. So it's really, I'm very grateful to, to be back here today to talk about this. Yeah, and thanks very much for that. Um, back, back to it, though. So you, you mentioned how your family, I, yes. again, knowing a little bit about my family, um, my parents, when uh, I was very fortunate to have five siblings, and when they had their issues late in life, um, you know, we all were able to to get together. But it's it's an emotional time with that, where it's because of age, right. it's somewhat expected. Yes, it's a different story when it comes to a family dealing with a young one. Yes, talk a, a little bit about maybe the dynamics that you saw inside your family. Yeah. Well, again, I think, you know, especially from a parent's perspective, and again, I don't say this firsthand, but from dealing with so many parents now for 11 years, you know, that helplessness, you know, you can't tell your child it's going to be okay. You know, everything you would naturally say to, your, you know, set your child's mind at ease, I mean, it's hard to say those things because you don't know. Um, and, you know, I think no matter the age, you know, we, we again, you know, teens, um, right from, you know, babies, you, you just see... Um, you know, that, that look of fear in a parent's eyes when they hear the words, your child has cancer. I mean, that is what fuels me to get up and get to work every single day. Um, we know that, again, we, we, we can't fix it, but if we can give them tools to ease the burden, you know, then, you know, we're doing our jobs properly. So, um, you know, you start to face the potential mortality of your child, you know, when you hear those words. I mean, everybody knows how serious it, it is and, um you know, the, again, the ripple effect, maybe mom or dad stops working because you're not going to have your child go through treatment alone. So then, the you know, that complicates things. And then you have other siblings that are left home while you're in the hospital and their lives are flipped upside down. So there's that guilt and, you know, it just goes on and on. Um, you know, so we have really paid attention to where the true needs are. Um, and one of them, you know, as I know we're getting to, was um, was bereavement and, you know, worst case scenario, families left, you know, kind of on an island. You know, a lot of our programs in the community are patient-centered. So when that child has cancer, you know, the phone is ringing, come here, do this, we've got you. That support is incredible, but in the wake of a loss, a lot of that just naturally falls away when the patient's not in the equation. And, you know, those are sometimes when... You know, parents and families are obviously at the very bottom of that hill. I see. Um, Mark, of course, we're going to get into your story just a little bit, but right. maybe a, a general thought about what Gwen is saying there about all those that dynamic that's created inside a family when this is occurring. Well, we had uh, two children uh, have, I should say. I prefer to, prefer to refer to my son in the present tense because spiritually he is with us. Uh, long-time listeners to WBFO probably know my voice because I've been on this station for 44 years. Uh, but during the uh, 
late 90s, early 2000s, uh, I did Morning Edition, and um, there were days when I wasn't there. Howard Rydell would fill in on the last-minute notice. The reason being is our son was diagnosed with leukemia, and uh, Alex was just before his ninth birthday when this happened. He went into a a quick remission, uh, was on uh, uh, therapy for a while, and the remission lasted three years. He relapsed, uh, had to go to uh, more chemo, stronger chemo, radiation, and uh, that led him to another remission. But finally, in the uh, fall of uh, 2003, uh, he had a third uh, relapse, and uh, this time it necessitated a bone marrow transplant. That took place in early 2004, um, and his immune system had to be fully suppressed uh, with a bone marrow transplant. That's simply how it works. Um, and in the process of recovery from the bone marrow transplant, tests showed that it was working and he was producing the blood cells needed to fight leukemia. However, he caught a fungal infection, and that took his life in uh, June of 2004 at the age of 16. Uh, so uh, I am familiar with uh, the process of going, and ours was a long one. It was almost seven years. Uh, some uh, families that I've met through Punt uh, um, uh, have lost infants. Uh, we had a speaker at the was a Punt Remembrance weekend this just this past weekend, and the guest speaker uh, is a psychologist who lost his infant son to leukemia at, even before I think he turned one. I think uh, they celebrated his first birthday without him mm. physically present, but they still observed it. So it, can, it happened to any, any kid, but if a person loses a spouse, he becomes a, widow, a widower. If a person loses his parents, he becomes an orphan as a kid. If a person loses a child, there's no word. Right. There are no, there's, there's no English word for it. Uh, but we guess we call ourselves bereaved parents. And the reason uh, that I got involved with Punt was actually in the very beginning, when Alex was still a patient at Roswell, uh, Brian Mormon, the Bills punter, used to visit the kids with some other players from time to time. But Brian was very... Uh, dedicated in, in seeing these sick kids, and he struck up a friendship with Alex. Now, Alex was not the uh, uh, football fan. He could care less about the Buffalo Bills or, or anything like that. It's just his nature. But he did become a genuine friend with Brian from the premier many visits, and uh, they remembered each other. And, and the first few punt remembrances where Brian was still involved in the organization, uh, he was always uh, out, outgoing and welcoming to my wife and I when, uh, when uh, we would get together. It's interesting, Gwen, to hear Mark talk about how Mark is connected with other parents. Is that a, a part of what Punt does? Is it, is it intentional to try to make that connection? Yeah, so um, yeah. within my first year, um, I really sat down with everybody who served the pediatric cancer population in our community um, just to see where the needs were. And, you know, I could see in my own family that, again, even though there was a lot of strength and support, um, you know, the loss of Andrew, I mean, his parents are never, they're not the same people, um, and they were really struggling. Um, so one of the things that kept rising to the top was, um, you know, there, there's nothing for bereaved parents. And so I did a little bit of research and kind of another football um, tie back, mm-hmm. but um, Tom Coughlin, who was the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, mm-hmm. went on to coach the Giants to a winning Super Bowl. Um, he started um, a nonprofit in honor of a student he coached at Boston College um, named Jay McGillis, and that's a Tom Coughlin J Fund. And I connected with Kelly Coughlin, Tom's daughter, who ran that nonprofit in Jacksonville. 
um, as a mentor when I kind of made this hard career switch unexpectedly from public broadcasting to running um, Punt. And um, she said, you know, we found the same need and we created this annual Remembrance Weekend retreat. And it's coming up if you want to come down and observe it, you know, uh, we would love to have you. So, you know, thanks to her graciousness, I did that and was so moved and so inspired by the power of this model, you know, this weekend of bringing families together who have suffered the loss of a child to cancer and seeing the healing that occurred, the fellowship that occurred firsthand, I came back to Buffalo very determined to replicate that here. And so within a year, we had our first Remembrance Weekend. Um, I will never forget the overwhelming feeling of drinking from a fire hose, planning and running that event. We had 20 families very bravely entrusting us with their hearts down. We do it at Holiday Valley in Ellicottville. Um, we just had our 10th anniversary this past wow. weekend. We've been to all 10. Um, You've been to all 10, Mark. Yeah. yeah. And um, again, we had people coming in off the street um, who had not processed, dealt with, had no forum for talking about their loss, their pain, their grief. Um, it was like 20 couples ripping off band-aids and bleeding out, I think it's fair to say, it's Mark. A fair, it's, a, it's a fair simile. Uh, I, yes. I, I think that... Uh, uh, we find it um, even th this past weekend when we had the 10th re anniversary reunion, there were still uh, four or five new families, new parents, and uh, some of them bring their younger kids um, that aren't sure what to do. They just don't know because they've never been through this before. There's, this is our chance to reach out to them. Uh, my wife and I are, well, our son has gone 19 years in, in June. Um, it's a chance for us to kind of reach out and share our experiences, and it's a chance for the newcomers to uh, share theirs and uh, know that they're not alone in uh, what they're experiencing. They, of course, uh, have experiences that are unique to themselves and, and, and their own families, but uh, there's a fellowship that evolves, and it's it's deeper than a, a companionship. It's, it's, it, there's, there's a bonding that goes on. Uh, amongst the parents that uh, participate in PUN, in my opinion. And after being through it 10 years and seeing different families, some of the same, right. are there certain steps that you have seen and witnessed, not only for yourself, but for some of these other families that have been there that, oh, I remember what that was like when it first oh, happened. Oh, sure. Um, even in, in, in the, we have a, a general session on, on the Saturday of, of the weekend where the uh, speaker gives us uh, uh, maybe some tips on how to cope, uh, shares their experiences. And, um, yeah, it's raw because uh, it does take you back to the, the, uh, the, the, the illnesses. It does take you back to the, the final moments that uh, the kids have gone through and the reaction of the family and friends. Uh, it takes you back to that. But it also enables people to share and say, yes, it's terrible, but we aren't the only ones who've gone through something like this. Uh, we are able to gain some moral support, gain some uh, uh, psychological support uh, through people who um, uh, know what it's like, people who uh, uh, have experienced, be it a long-term uh, illness like we had or some kids uh, diagnosed on a Friday and they're dead, all of a sudden they're gone on Monday. Uh, there are just just as everybody's story is unique, but they have common factors. Is there a reluctance for some to get involved in this? 
Definitely. Um, I think kind of the beauty of the way our organization works is um, oftentimes we may have met that family during the course of their battle. We may have helped them pay their bills. How do you go about um, connecting? Yeah. So, well, so our programs, um, again, we, we work with the hospital social workers and psychologists, but um, we kind of, we have our finger on the pulse of, you know, where the needs are. So we're getting requests for families, hearing their stories, um, helping pay mortgages, rents, car payments, medical bills, utility bills. Um, you know, we, we have an adoptive family program at Christmas, so we adopt families out for Christmas, um, you know, 70 plus families the last few years um, in active cancer treatment. Um, so we have these other programs that allow us, you know, we, we have a, a suite at the stadium. We bring kids with um, cancer to home bills games. Um, so, like I said, by the time generally, you know, you're, you're delivering them into our ultimate compassion program, there's an established relationship. At least they know who we are and, um, you know, they know, you know, in many cases I've been personally touched by pediatric cancer. My teammate, Jonathan McGrath, who's our development mm -hmm. manager, lost his little boy to brain cancer. So we have a lot of purity of heart on our team. And I think families, I, I feel um, very honored that they trust us by the time it comes to that. Um, we, we had an open house this year to kind of just explain the weekend and, you know, what it is and what it does. And we did, we had seven new families. Um, our community lost 11 kids to pediatric cancer this past year. And out of the 11, seven of their families were with us um, this past weekend, which again, it's it's very humbling. I will always say, you know, you ask any parent what the worst plight on earth that they could experience is, and they're probably gonna tell you child loss, so. Agreed. Um, There's nothing no, nothing worse. I, I fear nothing now yeah. in, in life. It's a, a, a cliche, but it, like a lot of cliches, it's true. Children aren't meant to leave this earth before their parents, right? Children are, are parents are not meant to bury their children. Right, right, for sure. We're talking with Mark Wozniak uh, this morning. Of course, we know Woz from uh, Afternoons, uh, hosting All Things Considered. And, of course, before that many years, is the morning edition host here at the WBFO, sharing his stories of his son, Alex. And also we have with us uh, uh, Gwen Mysiak, who is the executive uh, director of... Uh, Punt Pediatric Cancer Collaborative. She also has her own uh, personal story, talking about her uh, cousin. We'll call him. I'll, we'll call Andrew your your nephew. How does that uh, sound? Just like, so I know how it's how it works inside the family, this. right? Thank for you. sure. Um, how do how invasive is not the best word for this, but how much do you push for a family? Because that's got to be del del that's got to be very delicate. Because you know, you know. <laughs> Yeah. It's needed, right? You know. know what's needed ahead. Sometimes the ones that are the most resistant are the ones that need it the most. And Agreed. learned, you know, um, I'm thinking to myself, I'm sure there's some parents that would say I was quite pushy, but in a very loving way. Um, I think, you know, explaining what it is, you know, and Mark and his wife are beautiful examples of, you know, veteran families that, you know, make sure they're part of that conversation, you know, because we know that we're not first person here and the families can, can really relate from their own perspective. So at our open house, we had several families speak about what this weekend has meant to them. And uh, I, I said this year, you know, we looked around and some of our new families were the last ones to leave our weekend. So that was really powerful to me. And they frequently know. will say, I was not going to come. I just decided at the last minute, maybe I should. And now they're sort of making plans to return next year. Yeah, and we 
over 10 years, we've seen the siblings. Yeah, we work with the siblings, too, so we've seen the siblings grow up. Uh, we have a fleet of child life specialists who do therapeutic activity. For We sometimes characterize the siblings as the forgotten grievers because so much focus does go on the parents, and yet these siblings have suffered this terrible loss and void. Their whole lives have changed, and it will never be the same. They're never going to have the same family. They're never going to have the same parents. Our so daughter we, was uh, involved in Putin the first few years. She's now older. She's... she's uh, uh, married and an adult now, but uh, I always told her after the loss of her brother that she has no one to complain to about her rotten parents. So. <laughs> <laughs> and there is their father's uh, incredible sense of humor. We're going to take a break. Uh, Mark Wozniak and Gwen Mysiak with us this morning on Buffalo What's Next. Uh, the uh, folks at Punt are putting together a, a symposium that we're going to talk about uh, that's coming up later this month. It's open to the public and might be something that would be of interest to you and your family as well. So we'll get into that and more. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. On June 17, 2015, a racist gunman opened fire inside the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, killing nine people. Similar to Buffalo's racist mass shooting on May 14, 2022, the victims were in a place they felt safe. They were elders in the community, and the attack came after the gunman spent some time in the presence of the victims. This tragedy not only ties our communities together, but it can also provide a roadmap for what healing looks like for a city that is just beginning its journey. Don't miss Buffalo and Charleston, a parallel journey of hope, healing, and reconciliation. Special week of coverage on Buffalo What's Next, Monday, May 8th to Friday, May 12th at 10 a.m. on WBFO. And listen to a special Producers Picks episode on May 5th that showcases the reporter's experience of visiting Charleston. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to uh, Buffalo What's Next. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, we're uh, taking on a, a, quite a topic here today on Buffalo What's Next. We're talking about bereavement, but more specifically bereavement uh, upon the loss of a child. With us, uh, we have um, Gwen Mysiak, the Executive Director of Punt Pediatric Cancer Collaborative, Mark Wozniak, our uh, my colleague here at uh, WBFO also uh, gracious enough to come in and, and share his story about he and his family as well. Gwen, the 2023 Western New York Grief Training and Child Loss Symposium. I know one of the concerns that you have about this is the fact that it's being called a symposium and you sense that maybe the branding is a, a little harsh perhaps or maybe a little more formal than, than what you want it to be because it most certainly sounds like these reunion weekends and such are far less than anything that would be considered formal. It's something much more meant to be comfortable. What about the, the symposium, for lack of a better term here? Right. Well, so, um, well, just to back it up, you know, we've been doing bereavement work through PUNT, you know, serving families who have lost their children to cancer now for for 10 years. Um, and we've seen, you know, what a lifeline it has been to these parents um, and siblings who just get stuck. You know, a lot of them will say it's hard to seek out mental health counseling in a situation like this because... You know, I don't want to talk to someone who goes home to their child who's alive, you know. Right. So that peer support model is extremely effective, you know. So we've been seeing that working 
really beautifully, you know, in our own realm. You know, maybe we don't always get it right, but I think we've had, you know, success in this in this um, important work. Um, and often we were asked, you know, I lost my child another way. Could I come to your weekend? And, you know, it was always very difficult to say, no, you know, this is just for, you know, families who've lost their children to cancer. But we knew we had to preserve that origin of loss as a bond is, is, is very powerful, you know, that they all have kind of gone through the same journey. So uh, we, we really started to think about, you know, because we've gained such expertise, we've, we've gotten connected with amazing people nationally who are doing this work, um, you know, and, and seeing the year our community had, you know, the, the mass shooting, the blizzard, the, you know, the loss, the trauma. Uh, if ever there was a year, we knew this was the year. Um, so uh, I had the opportunity to go to the National Alliance for Children and Grief Symposium this last June on scholarship. I met a, a many wonderful people, including the Dougie Center. Um, and, and what's the Dougie Center? The Dougie Center, um, they are sort of the um, OG grief center. Um, they have been around since 1982. They kind of set the standard for grief and loss support. They are doing a lot of the research that is crafting the best practices um, you know, their trainers have been through some of the biggest national crisis related to child loss and, um, you know, trauma in, 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 in our country. Um, so, you know, and then we also um, had a situation, many may recall, you know, Dawson Knox, the Buffalo Bills tight end, is a huge, huge part of our um, mission. And he lost his brother unexpectedly in August. We got this sort of influx of, you know, they call it the Bills Mafia, you know, right. support that comes in. So within 48 hours, our organization got an influx of $200,000 and 9,000 donations in honor of Dawson, in memory of Dawson's brother. And we took that stewardship, that responsibility of those resources very seriously, you know, and we said in a press conference in October, part of Luke's legacy was going to be um, to kind of edify the work we do in the bereavement realm and, and, and hopefully broaden its impact. So well, it's, uh, the, the specifics mm -hmm. then of, of the symposium, yes. when? And so we've, yep. Why? Well, we already heard about why, of course. Yeah. So, so that that all kind of spurred us on to these two events that are coming up. So May nineteenth, um, well, the Dougie Center is coming to Western New York. You know, Pun is coordinating those efforts. Um, on the nineteenth of May, they are doing a one hundred person professional training for professionals practitioners that deal with the bereaved population. We have a huge cross section from. Um, the, the county stepped up. The mental health uh, commissioner, um, you know, supports this. Um, and they, so we have 30 county officials coming. We have people from law enforcement, education, funeral directors, um, fellow nonprofits that may deal with um, bereavement. Um, and so they will be trained up um, on Friday, May 19th. Best practices, a full day of training. Unfortunately, we have a waiting list already from as far as Rochester. There's just uh, people are clamoring for this. They need these skills and tools they feel to do their jobs, you know, um, better. So um, we couldn't believe how quickly we capped. And right. We, well, that's the Friday. Yeah, that's this, the Friday. Yeah. Um, but on Saturday, uh, one of our trainers will turn into a keynote speaker. We're also bringing back a wonderful gentleman, Greg Adams, who runs um, a nationally reputed um, center for Good Morning out of Arkansas Children's Hospital to be he's another keynote speaker. speaker. At the, he's been a guest speaker at the Punt Reunion weekends in the past. Very, very uh, uh, sharp, sharp guy. Yeah, what strikes you about his, um, his content? His humanity, uh, his professionalism, and... Um, uh, he, has, he just has a way to reach out. His his his, his touch, 
with 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 uh, bereaved parents. That's something perhaps maybe people can also gain for themselves, right? Yes. So um, we the symposium um, will uh, it's taking place on the twentieth of May. Uh, we have the formerly the Millennium Hotel. Now it's the M Hotel, right by the you know Gallery sure. Mall. So uh, we we can do up to you know three hundred people. Any origin of loss. Um, we have been working really hard with experts um, for group facilitation. You know, unfortunately, part of our job was sitting down thinking about how could you possibly lose your child, you know, and in those, you know, categories of perinatal loss, suicide, homicide, overdose, cancer, chronic illness. Um, so the morning will be more general themes as we do at our weekend of okay. um, tools. You know, the last thing we want to do is bring people together and and make anything worse, you know. So we, we really strive to to create something that is productive, that gives tools. You know, we've showed parents MRIs of grieving brains. You are not crazy. You are physiologically mm. altered from your loss. You know, there's just so much misunderstanding because we are a death-denying culture that does not want to talk about dying, you know, mortality. I think we've all faced it now with COVID, and that really kind of shifted things because I think everybody would say to some degree you addressed your own mortality through the pandemic. But, um, you know, before that, families who are grieving were stuck because people often, you don't want to upset them. So you don't say anything, you know, we, you know, and we have really tried, we're trying very hard with these two events to make Western New York a more grief literate society, you know, to empower people with skills and tools to be able to um, feel confident having those conversations with bereaved people. And it's not just about feelings, you know, and I just want to bring that point up, Jay. Um, there's a lot of data about the, the at-risk nature of bereaved children and adults, higher risk for depression, anxiety, physical issues, early mortality. And we're talking about parents? I'm talking about, in general, the bereaved People population. Okay. Um, unprocessed grief can do terrible things to lives, you know, and... I'm going to uh, pop in here uh, just only because uh, my mother died when I was 12. And uh, this was in the mid-60s. And my dad was left to just, you know, bury her, take a couple of days off, and move on. It was just before school started. We, my sister and I, went back to school. My brother was one year old at the time. Hmm. Um, but there, were no, there was no place to reach out for any sort of grief support. And I realized as we grieved our son uh, 30 years later that I never properly grieved my mother in uh, in all those years because there was there was there was no no sort of outreach so so I'm very enthused about uh, what what Gwen and Punt and and uh what they're trying to do here for this uh, upcoming uh again for lack of a better word symposium uh you brought up something I definitely want to get back to but I best practices I, I that, that term caught me best practices what do we understand about the best practices like you said this isn't just about feelings this is stuff right. These are things that have been learned through scientific research. Right. So and best practices, what can we understand about that in this type of conversation right here, right now? Yeah, so that's, you know, Dougie Center, you know, the name of their presentation is Grief Informed Best Practices, Supporting Western York Families Through Loss. Um, I think, again, all the research that goes into the data of the, you know, what, what to say, what not to say type things. Right. Mm -hmm. um, oh, did you want to? Uh, no, I just, uh, uh, what not to say is people will, will say things, uh, um, this happened to us once too during Alex's, Alex's illness when we were looking for a bone marrow transplant. I said, well, you can always have another child. And that, was, that was said to us by 
a teacher uh, at, at Alex's school. Uh, really threw us for a loop. But first of all, Alex is already 10, and uh, his sister is 6. And um, we were not planning more children at the time. And, and first of all, there's no guarantee that that would have been a, a match to begin with. But there are insensitive things that people say, perhaps in a meaningful intent. Sure. But the delivery system uh, was, was not the best. And, again, those things that are said um, often compound, you know, the trauma, the loss, oh, sure. the pain, the isolation. You know, people are so well-intentioned, but, again, there hasn't been a lot of dialogue about. He's in a better place now. Yeah. Oh, things like that. Yeah. Uh, but we're not. Right. Right. We still, so. yeah, yeah. It's, um, we, we've heard so many things like that along the way doing this mm. work. Um, but, that's, you know, the Child Loss Symposium, you know, and, and I want to mention, too, that that is free. Um, when when my teammate Jonathan McGrath and I set out to garner funding for this, there was such receptivity, maybe again because of what our community has just gone through, maybe because of the pandemic, maybe it's just time to start this dialogue, again, making, you know, Western New York a better place to grieve, as we keep saying. Um, but this is completely free. There is no cost. New York Life Foundation stepped in with a grant. So um, this is free and accessible. Uh, again, the morning will just be kind of a general keynote. So if, if people don't want to share, they can just sit and listen. Um, but then in the afternoon, we're going to break people up by origin of loss and have some very skilled facilitators just guide conversations. And our hope is that every single person will leave with a little peer network, maybe one re relationship, one tool. You know, we can't fix this, but if there's certain little things we can do to help, you know, them carry it, and then the day before to make, you know, uh, Western New York a more grief-sensitive um, society, then I think these two events will have done a tremendous service to our community. Peer network. What about for you, Woes? You, well, did you develop a peer network? Uh, through Pont, certainly. Uh, we have dear friends now. Uh, we consider uh, people we never would have met otherwise, uh, other than through the loss of our children. Uh, but uh, uh, there are peers uh, because, A, they're similar in age or they're parents, and we discovered likes and dislikes and friendships have evolved. But the most common thread is the loss of our child. And... Um, that uh, uh, it started even even before Punt, uh, Roswell Park uh, had a uh, more informal monthly gathering of uh, just a bereavement group, and it was all causes. It was cancer, it was accidents, uh, uh, suicide, things like that. Um, and there are some relationships from that group, too, that uh, persist through to this day, and this is going back 15 years. What about a, a more... Both of you seem to be, obviously, well, because of your experience with your son, Alex, and uh, Gwen, with your experience not only with your, your nephew, Andrew, but also with all these fa these many families that you work with. What about a, just a general thought about, we hear about a mental health crisis right now, and just a, that, making that combination of what do you see, what do you sense in the population right now? I mean, do you sense that type of? stressed out or a, a struggling populace right now? I do, and I think that um, so many people are seeking help for general anxiety, depression, you know, so so many ramifications of what we've all just been through. 
Um, and then again, there's people, especially the, the bereaved population. You know, I had, um, you know, personal situation that also, you know, has been a driving force. Uh, my daughter lost her two best friends in a car accident in March of 2022. And then I lost my husband in September mm. unexpectedly, um, you know, of, of a heart attack. So, um, with my daughter's friends, I you know their moms, they're seeing their their parents and family shattered, and knowing like what we had done with punt and thinking, oh my gosh, there's nothing like that for these moms. You know what what are they gonna do? Both of them came to me. They had to get on waiting lists to see a mental health counselor, six to eight weeks for some of the better providers in our area who have a good reputation. Many of them are you know private payer or insurance that doesn't cover, or if you have a high deductible plan. You know I know for me to get my, my husband had a high deductible plan, to get myself and my three children two hours of help per month, it was going to be as much as my mortgage payment out mm. of pocket, you know? And, you know, so um, I, I, I think that because everybody is struggling at some level, maybe it leaves those who are going through, again, arguably one of the worst stressors, uh, life events, you know, life can deal you, um, they're even more disenfranchised now. And, you know, then you got to hope it's a good fit once you wait the six weeks and get in, right? And if it's not a good fit, you start over again. And many times with these traumatic losses, and even not traumatic losses, you're not okay. You don't want to get out of bed. You're not eating. You would rather be with your child. We've heard this time and time again. So uh -huh. that's true. You know, the immediate help, these, you know, having something to catch these families early on is so important because it's very easy to give up on helping yourself when you're at the bottom of that hill. It really is. You don't have the energy. You don't have the strength. Making the phone call, telling your story, getting the appointment, you know, the waiting. I mean, um, there's a lot of communities that have amazing grief centers, you know, that are places that are running peer support groups daily. And uh, I, I toured one. I hope someday Western New York has one. I would love one for my three brief children right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I just hope that these efforts and how we've been able to take what you know, families like Mark have helped us build for the last decade at Punt, um, you know, and, and, and that, that, that these two um, events will, will have just some small impact in helping people, you know, walk this road. Uh, I've suffered from depression almost all my life, and I tra trace it back to my mother's passing when I was 12. Uh, back then, there were no organizations, not even let alone a waiting list. There was nothing to go to. You just had to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and keep going. Uh, you had no choice. That's how it was. Uh, I was, uh, I won't say a prodigy, but academically gifted. I went to Calis Anxious Prep School, and they, at one point I was two years ahead of my age group. And then my mother passed, and uh, my, my studies after that, I was, I was never a good student anymore. Uh, I barely got out of Calis Anxious. Went to college, dean's list the first year, I flunked out the third. So and, I just, and I, then you went into radio, but, we'll then I went, but that's, that's not, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, so with that, uh, Mark, you've mentioned it now a couple of times about your mother, and that, I did want to get back to that when you first mentioned it. How did you come to that realization about your mother? Is that something that you've uh, have been helped? You've been guided to by a professional, or is it uh, just a journey for yourself? That that's you've... a self journey. Uh, there was again, there 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 were no. Uh, there was no outreach for me back when I was a teenager, an adolescent, and young adult. Uh, we just dealt with it. Um, well, mom's not there. You know, you go, you come home from school, you start the dinner. I'll, I'll never have hamburger helper again in my life because I had enough of it back then. Uh, or uh, shake and bake chicken. You know, it's just I'm not the cook, and uh, 
Uh, my dad wasn't the cook. He had to work to keep uh, the three of us, my sister, my brother, and I uh, going. Um, and it was uh, the beginning of what my, my popular in saying my mantra now is inhale, exhale, repeat. That's, mm. And that's where I kind of guess the roots of it are. Um, the fact that we're having uh, this, uh, the punt uh, grief training coming up now is, is, is light years ahead of what was available 50 years ago. And you mentioned also you have had not you came to the realization that you had not grieved the loss of your mother as a twelve year old. Um, have you been able to grieve? Uh, to grieve? Do you feel you've been able to, to do, go since through that? then? I, I'd say yes, uh, especially after the loss of Alex, uh, because I did kind of learn how to uh, and cope isn't the right word because the grief just is it becomes it becomes you. Um, uh, I, I mean, I have it too. It's, it's not as outpouring or outgoing as it is, but it's always there. Uh, there's always that hole in your heart, uh, missing your son, missing my mother. Um, uh, I, I don't know how to explain it other than uh, to say that uh, you you don't get through it. it. You bring it with you. It just becomes a part of who you are. Mark Wozniak with us here on Buffalo What's Next, along with Gwen Mysiak, the executive director of PUNT, Pediatric Cancer Collaborative. We've got a few more minutes to go. We're going to take one more break and come back with more. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Did you know that WNED PBS is always working on great new local shows for you to watch? Documentaries like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, which tells the story of Buffalo's music hall. The hall is very intimate, and that intimacy makes everyone who comes in here feel a part of our family. Fun and educational series like Compact Science. Believe it or not, peppers are technically fruits. And Shakespeare's greatest hits featuring some of his best-known soliloquies and monologues. We are such stuff as dreams are made of. You can watch them all on our website at wned.org slash local shows. While you're there, check out the show pages and many websites for additional content such as bonus features, photo galleries, and lesson plans. Find it all at wned.org slash local shows. Looking for something great to watch on TV tonight? Visit wned.org slash TV schedule to find out what's on WNED PBS. This is Buffalo What's Next where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And uh, back for our final segment of Buffalo What's Next with Mark Wozniak and Gwen Mysiak. Uh, we are talking about, obviously, a very difficult topic, but uh, very much appreciative of the two individuals that are here with us to get us through this. And that is bereavement, and more specifically, uh, bereavement uh, after the loss of a child. Gwen, when are we talking about a child? Of course, one was, we, we've talked about parents. We've talked about siblings. We haven't talked about school. That's got to be, I can only imagine what that is like inside for right. educators and for school communities. Yes, um, I, I have been contacted often um, when a child is, uh, you know, about to go end of life or has passed away from, you know, oftentimes, again, their school may have, you know, fundraised with us for, for the patient, but 
Um, we have several school districts coming to our grief training because they are desperate for tools, developing protocols for how to deal with the death of a student, teacher, a parent um, within their school communities. They know how important it is, again, to get that right. So um, we are hoping that uh, this will be helpful. Uh, we, we sat with several uh, staff at, at a school in Williamsville who had had, you know, had a, a student situation, a teacher and a, a parent all in the same week. Mm. And they said, you know, that's not the moment they should be figuring out what they're doing. You know, so developing those protocols and how important that is um, has been a huge need that we've seen from our work with pediatric cancer, you know. And so, again, we're very hopeful that this training will will provide some of the um, skills that people recognize are important and that they need. Interesting that you use the term, though, uh, protocols. Again, that's why we have trainers to take us through these types of things. But what about that, though? What should, whether you're an educator, someone who's involved in communities like that, someone who's charged with overseeing and responsible for people, what should they have an understanding of just basic understandings of things to look for or where they can go for more assistance. Yeah. I mean, one thing I've heard echoed a lot, and Mark, I think, you know, would tag you into just, just giving, you know, families some control over what's happening. You know, again, as I shared with you, you know, I got a call with my own loss and, you know, does your child want to be the one whose dad died today? And how do you know? And, you know, just again, messaging, um, you know, making sure that teachers, if, if they're going to be, you know, we lost um, a little girl who was in kindergarten last year and her teacher, you know, had to deal with the grieving students who lost their classmate at five years old. I mean, you know, th these are things, and, and I'm not the expert in this realm. That's why sure. we're bringing in the exactly. Duddy Center. So, right. um, you know, I don't want to try to overspeak it, but but just recognizing the need and, you know, punch stepping out um, to fill it is something that we're all very proud of. And we have built what the bereavement program, we call it our ultimate compassion program, has become um, with the feedback of families like the Wozniaks, who we've been working with now for a solid decade, you know, refining, tweaking what we do to make sure that we're answering the feedback of what they need. I agree. Uh, the, the families are uh, are our primary concern concerned upon uh, just in, in seeing the uh, outreach. Uh, my wife does a lot of volunteering for Punt as well. I'm not so much because of my time schedule, but she's retired two years ago and has found some free time. So uh, she's been doing some work, and uh, she reports to me. And of course, I see it firsthand the the, the, the the outreach to the families that are involved in Punt who have lost a, a child, and uh, this t sort of support for grief could transcend Punt with just kids with cancer, but could transcend. Uh, to uh, other losses. Um, you mentioned COVID losses. Uh, I lost my dad at the age of 97, two years ago to COVID. Um, uh, there, there are the, the grief community, that's not a good word, I suppose, but there needs to be a community uh, to support grief. Uh, here the topic is, is primarily children, but uh, any loss. Uh, we talked about the 514 uh, families and friends and the community, the, the uh, tremendous loss to the uh, whole city of Buffalo and the whole region and, and the shootings elsewhere and everything else. Um, we hear about it as news people here at, at WBFO, but there are people involved who are the uh, directly 
directly affected by these events. And this, I think, is what Pont and the uh, f foundation are working to build a base, and hopefully this will continue to grow and more people will become aware and aware of how to work with people who are suffering from first-hand grief. And to that, and again, I'll open up as a, as a kind of a general discussion between the, uh, the two of you. Like you said before about some of the things that were said to you after Alex either was right. gone or is dying and, you know, they, and obviously, obviously wrong. But what about from a, a larger perspective, from a community perspective, a sense that maybe you feel for, like you said, 514, which is, you know, I mean, it's been, I mean, it's the origin of this particular program. That's correct. Um, and with that, it's always been a very delicate walk trying to make sure that, you know. Well, you don't it, want to disrespect the people who are involved. Each, each person has a story. Each person has their own life. Each person has their own uh, circle of family and friends. Uh, each person has their own set of experiences. And uh, in a, a, a mass situation like this where we lost 10 at once and three others were seriously injured, um, the community, at least what, you, what we're hearing in the community, people come together to support it. And I'm of the belief that as much as I'm in the news business and we tell the bad news, there's much more good news out there that doesn't get said. There's a lot of good people and, 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 and my... So you think the support, that that community support is, is helpful? Is I agree. Saying. I think it is, yes. I think, and I think that, that this is a, a, something that, that should should expand, something that should grow. And more people, uh, especially now that we have, a, as Gwen said, we have a waiting list. Uh, if there's a waiting list, people want to get involved. They want to start learning about it. And hopefully with a program like this past hour, uh, we're able to raise some sort of awareness so that, uh, uh, yeah, we can help people who are grieving the loss of not only a child but a spouse, uh, a parent, a sibling. Pick that up a little bit, Gwen. What about that? A community awareness, um, how helpful it could be to those people who are suffering these losses. I, I, I dream of the positive ripple effect of what this could be uh just again knowing what i've heard what i've encountered um again how tough of a conversation this is when people don't feel equipped to have it um you know and again child loss is our focus uh, just because we have been doing it for 10 years um you know we really and, and and i and i'll go back to you know kind of where the conversation started what fueled me to take punt over, leave my career here, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, was helplessness when Andrew was dying. I mean, looking at his parents, I was with him, you know, the moment he died, seeing him being taken out of his home, watching his parents, watch him go, you know, things that, you know, I don't mean to be dramatic, but that helplessness um, that I think if anyone out there knows anyone who has lost their child, it's sheer helplessness. What could I possibly do? You know, they're never going to be the same. You know, um, we hope that maybe, you know, if you do know someone, you'll tell them about this because, again, we know we, we can't fix it. But if we can help them carry it and if there's one relationship or one tool that they gain from coming to our um, child loss event on May 20th, then this will have all been worth it. You know, if we have 10 people, if we have 300, um, this will have all been worth it. And we're just so grateful for the funding partners who have allowed this to be a completely free opportunity. 
Um, lunch is included, breakfast is included, <laughs> there's no ticket cost. Um, we do need you to register, and you can do that through the Punt Pediatric Cancer um, website. Um, you can call 716-200-3458. Um, we, can, we can get you registered. Um, we've got about 50, you know, um, coming so far. But, again, perinatal loss, you know, st- uh, stillborn, um, drug overdose, suicide. We have a lot of people who have registered for hom- um, with the origin of loss being homicide in our community, which we were not expecting, actually. Um, so, um, you know, any origin of loss... Um, and we, we really hope that, again, this will be meaningful. We're doing the very best we can to produce a quality program that day. And uh, Woz, uh, I can recall, recall uh, meeting you for the very first time right here. You came over to see us uh, before the merger of uh, the University of Buffalo operation and the operation down here at uh, Lower Terrace. Right. And uh, you told me in our first meeting, you told me about Alex, your your son, and He's losing always, your son. always on my mind. I was going to just just that. You think of him all the time. All the time. I often wonder, uh, one of his best friends who's now in, married and in his early 30s, Alex would be 35 now, um, they have, uh, he and his wife, the friend, have three children, and he, he and his wife asked us whether they could, uh, it, was, it was all right with us if they named their firstborn Alex. So he lives on. Um, and we're grandma and grandpa Wozniak today, so that's a, that's a, that's a cool thing. We don't have grandchildren of our own, but we 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 do in a sense. This is a, another example of where family is not always blood. And uh, you know, I also never had a chance to ask him. Ask now, tell me about Alex. How about Alex? What was Alex like? He wanted to be a paleontologist when he grew up. He 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 could say Mama Dada and uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Those were his first three words, I think. <laughs> and uh, he 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 knew all about dinosaurs, uh, as many many kids do. But he was seriously considering uh, starting to look for colleges where he could uh, study paleontology and uh, the sciences like that, the uh, historical sciences. And how is your wife Karen doing? She's doing well. Um, she's a teacher. She's worked with kids all her life. Uh, she's a retired teacher. She's been off, off the job now for two years, and um, uh, she does well. And uh, Alex's sister Carrie, who is now in her early thirties and is married happily so, uh, lives nearby. Um, so we see them from time to time. She's a tax accountant, so she's just coming off a very busy season. And any particular time of the year that uh, are more difficult than others for the end of June, the anniversary of his passing. Okay. Very good. Um, Mark Wozniak, thanks very much for My joining pleasure. us. My pleasure. I hope I can be of, of, of some service here. And Gwen Mysiak, uh, some final thoughts as we uh, wrap up our hour here together. Just what a privilege it is to be here to talk about this, um, to be given the opportunity. Again, it's a full circle moment for me every time I walk hmm. through the front doors here um, because a lot of the skills I gained here you know, allowed me to create what PUN has become. So... Um, there's some public broadcasting DNA and, and some of the things we're doing, yes. but um, I just, um, you know, again, I, I, I want to say that I, I hope that this will provide, you know, the impact um, that grieving people need and deserve here and that ultimately, you know, will make Western New York a better place to grieve. Yes. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Mark Wozniak, Gwen Mysiak. Pleasure. Thank you. This has been Buffalo What's Next. On WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean and WUBJ Jamestown.